In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Eternal Father, you called St. Philip the Evangelist to open his mouth and begin with Scripture, tell the good news of Jesus Christ. By virtue of our baptism, we too are called to work for the salvation of souls. Instill in our hearts the zeal of St. Philip, that we may convert hearts and minds to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hi, welcome to the St. Philip Institute podcast. This is Into the Chariot, uh, catechetical sessions with Luke Arredondo. That's me. Uh, I have with me this, this in this episode Deanna Johnson, who's our uh, Director of uh, Family Life. And we uh, at the St. Philip Institute on our podcast, we talk about how to live the Catholic faith um, in real life, in facing the circumstances that we're really dealing with. And today, Deanna and I are going to be talking about um, the way... To, to reimagine what catechesis can be, um, especially in light of the pandemic. Uh, so I'm, I'm really happy. Thanks for coming on, Deanna, to join me for this. I'm excited. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so we've been talking a lot at the Institute amongst ourselves about this idea of the domestic church. Uh, we had a catechist conference dedicated to that topic. And one of the things that, that's been sticking with me is that the pandemic has caused a lot of people to wonder, like, how do we go forward? Uh, I see a lot of parishes, not just here and other places. I know people in a lot of different dioceses that are trying to figure out how do we get back our programs that we had last year when we still have all this uncertainty. And one of the questions that that's brought up for me is, uh, do we really need to do what we've been doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, is is normal circumstances, right, or precedented times, were those good times or not? And I think... Unfortunately, in a lot of ways, they probably weren't. And that's no slight against people that work in parishes or dioceses that are trying their best. I worked in a parish for a long time and just did the normal stuff. I don't know if you've probably had the same experience, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe one of the good things that can happen as, as a result of this terrible pandemic is it can help us to refocus and think more clearly about what's the goal of catechesis, what's the goal of an office of faith formation right. at the parish or at the diocese. Um, so that's what we want to try and explore uh, a little bit today. Um, so first, I want to just kind of paint a picture of what things were like under ordinary circumstances, okay? Uh, we're in the season of ordinary time now, so let's let's think about what ordinary time has looked like for uh, catechesis, religious education, ministry formation, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it, um, in in the U.S. at least, right? So a lot of places, a lot of parishes and dioceses, uh, confirmation is held off later till high school. Here in the Diocese of Tyler, we're a restored order diocese. We, we have confirmation uh, closer to the age of reason, sometime between 7 and 10. But in, in most of the country, and really in, indeed most of, of the world, confirmation happens later, high school age, some, sometime in adolescence. So when that happens, when high school, middle school is the, the age of confirmation, what you see in every parish is a cycle that looks like this. Preparation for First Communion, a large class of people. So if that's second grade, you're going to have 40, 50, maybe 60, 70 kids in your second grade communion class. You need two or three catechists to handle them all. And then in third grade, 
Most of them are gone. Few of them for goodwill will stick around for another year. Maybe they've got a sibling who's coming up or whatever. Look at your fifth grade, sixth grade numbers. You got like almost nobody. And it just dies out. And then the youth group swells every year with a new group of people who need to get their minimum qualifications in for preparation for confirmation. That's the normal thing you see all the time. Thinking about RCIA ministry, people who come into the church, most of those within a year aren't practicing. Mm-hmm. And the USCCB has done studies on this, and we know this. Uh, another thing, after people make their confirmation, whenever that is, what's the follow-through after that, right? A lot of them vanish. Um, and ex-Catholics is one of the largest and fastest-growing groups of religious identities around in the United States. Mass attendance was around 20% monthly attendance, right? Mm-hmm. Not even every week. Mm-hmm. Um, that's before the pandemic. Right. That's the situation things were in. So what, in, in your mind, Deanna, what has the pandemic shown us about what we can be doing? Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think it's it's really highlighted that we, we have been leaning heavily on a program mentality mm. when it comes to catechesis. And not that that's a bad thing, like you were saying, like we have to have a structure and we have a teaching structure within our parishes. But when everything shut down, I think, I know for me, it really highlighted how much we lean on our parishes to provide everything. Mm-hmm. And it has opened up this window of opportunity to reevaluate like right was was that working like you said in the beginning and how do we think outside of the box to still form people for the sacraments when they can't be within the parish walls and i think that's why we've been really reflecting yeah. on domestic church because um as you were saying if the domestic church is doing what it's called to do then what is the purpose of parish life? Yeah. I've thought a lot in the the last couple of months that if, you know, even only 70, 75% of families basically did what the church imagines they're going to do in terms of helping to educate their children, taking this primary and active role, Mm -hmm. if if just that percentage of people were doing that, I don't think I'd have a job. Maybe, (laughs) but I certainly think you wouldn't need a full staff at every parish who's just at their wits end trying to get people to show up for things. Right. right? And and maybe part of our, our approach, uh, and I say our like plural, like I include myself in that mm-hmm. is like we want people to come and we want people to do stuff. Mm-hmm. That way we know we're doing something. Yeah. And that's okay, right? But that's not really the goal. Um, there's a favorite TV show of mine that was on AMC. It's called Halt and Catch Fire. It's about like the uh, the computer explosion in the 80s. And one of the main characters on that show, he has this line that I, I find myself going to again and again um, because that's what I do. That's how I understand my life is through TV shows and movies. It's that computers aren't the thing. They're the, they're the thing that gets us to the thing. Mm. This character saw the internet coming. Mm. So he, he realized computers weren't really where it's at, but they're going to get us to the internet and that's where everything's at, right? I think that... Parish religious education, youth ministry, formation of whatever sort that's happening as a program, Mm -hmm. that's not the thing. Right. It can get us to the thing if it's done well. Mm -hmm. The real goal ought to be to get families to assume the role and the responsibility that that they're given. And maybe part of the problem, and I think you can speak to this a little bit, Deanna, is maybe the families don't know 
how much they've been entrusted with in the eyes of the church. Right, right? exactly. And I know we talked about this in an episode with Father Braun where he, man, he really called us out as parents. If you look at paragraphs 2204, that whole section that highlights like what is the domestic church and what is the responsibility of the parents. Right. That I don't know if I had ever really read through that section that closely um, until this year, but realizing that as parents, we have the primary responsibility to pass on the faith to our children, which we kind of know because we baptize. Hopefully we're baptizing our children and um, we have we have this idea that, yes, I'm responsible for helping my children get to heaven. But thinking of ourselves as the primary formators of our children and not the parish. Right. That is a big mind shift for for a lot of us. And I, I think so many of us for so long have thought of this as. Well, it's what we've always done. We went to CCD or we right. went to Catholic school. So we sent our children to um, to be formed and then they come back to us ready to complete their sacraments. But realizing that as parents, through the sacrament of marriage, we actually receive the grace to pass on. I mean, it explicitly says that in 2225, I think, through the grace of the sacrament of marriage, parents receive the responsibility and privilege of evangelizing their children. And parents should initiate their children at an early age into the mysteries of the faith. Um, that's a powerful thing, and it should actually even change the way that we think about this, the role of the sacrament of marriage within all of this, that domestic church isn't something that we that we start talking about or that we should be talking about when the first baby arrives, but really during marriage yeah. formation, because that's where that domestic church is being formed. Yeah. And you see this in the rite of baptism as well, right? In the, in the, in the beginning of the rite of baptism, uh, parents promise uh, to form and train their child uh, in the in the faith, mm. uh, this is this is a line from the uh, the right the celebrant of the bapt of the rite of baptism will say this: You have asked to have your child baptized. In doing so, you are accepting the responsibility of training him or her in the practice of the faith. It will be your duty to bring him or her up to keep God's commandments as Christ taught us by loving God and loving our neighbor. Do you clearly understand what you are undertaking? Right, and then the answer is. We do, and everybody always says we always that. Say that. But I don't. I don't know how many people think through that, right? Yeah. And notice, it's not saying that you have the responsibility to find that, find someone to do that for you, right? right. right. Although you can, <clears throat> it's right. still your responsibility, right? right? right. This right. is this is something maybe when we get outside of the ministry or even educational model, it makes sense, right? Like parents have the responsibility to to make sure their children's health is maintained. It's their job to do it. That doesn't mean they're alone to do it, right? but no one else is going to know and be attentive to when care is needed, right? That's kind of the way that things ought to work with catechesis and, and formation is that the parents have to be concerned for it. Yeah. Not just yeah. like, let's sign them up and get them in mm-hmm. and I'll drop them off mm-hmm. and pick them up, but invested in it and tied yeah. to it in some sort of a way. Even if it's happening through another medium, whether that's a parish or a Catholic school, um, it's still ultimately the parents that that have that both that duty and the responsibility for right. for taking care of that. And that's a, I mean, that's a daunting and, and tremendous responsibility, right? <laughs> Not like bit. an easy thing to do. So, uh, you said something really interesting. Uh, this is how a lot of us imagine. This is how it always went. Mm-hmm. We went to CCD. Mm-hmm. We went to whatever class. We've and, always you know, done it that's this how, way. That's a, and that's really sort of a newer thing, you know, historically speaking. Um, it's in the 1880s in the United States, the Third Plenary Council of, of Baltimore, uh, that Catholic parishes were asked to build 
Catholic schools. And the reason for that was because public education in the United States had a Protestant sort of flavor to it. You know, it wasn't really necessarily, it would depend on where, but it wasn't heavily proselytizing, um, but there was a definite Protestant emphasis Mm. and presence within um, public education. So the the bishops at at that council, I think it's 1884, told the the parishes in the United States, you need to build a school system Mm. to give your children a place where they can come to be educated and where their faith is going to be you know, strengthened. Um, and as that grows, what what happens is you have a lot of children attending these schools for low or, or no cost for mm-hmm. a long time, and they're kind of just, they're in there. And then eventually it begins to cost. People can't always afford it. So they model, for those who can't afford, we're going to give you that same classroom experience. With, this is CCD. You come to a classroom, someone teaches, your parents drop you off, pick you up, and we'll take care of it. Mm-hmm. And it's almost sort of an accident that that, that, that it developed so that way, you know. Yeah. Um, plenty of saints have been formed in other ways. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, John Paul II, for instance, he, he went to a Catholic school. I <coughs> hardly imagine it's because his school was so incredible that he became the saint right. that, he, that he became. You right. know, in, in his biography, uh, he says that his household, not his school— his household became a domestic seminary, mm. uh, and and mm. it was the witness of his father praying. Uh, oftentimes, in the middle of the night, his father got up to do vigil mm. prayers by himself. He didn't tell John Paul II. He didn't wake him up, but John Paul II would get up in the night, go get some water or something, and oh, he'd man. very often see his father reading the scriptures or, or kneeling in prayer, uh, and that formed him in a tremendous That's way. That's powerful. You know? um, St. Faustina... You know, she wasn't able to go to mass every weekend. They didn't. They didn't have enough dresses, so she was at home praying the whole time from when her parents left till when they came back because mm-hmm. she knew mass was happening, but she wasn't there. Um, you know, she wasn't being dropped off and and letting someone else take care of it. Saint Therese of Lisieux, you know, um, these these are saints whose formation really, really centered in the family yeah. more than anywhere else. And I think that this is what we need to try and shift towards is how can a parish or for us a diocese, a diocesan structure institute, you know, how can we effectively proclaim to parents mm. that you have this job mm-hmm. without overwhelming them? Right. Because I mean, it's kind of overwhelming. How, how do you think we go about that? Because that's, that's yeah. a very tricky thing to do. Yeah. And it sounds like we need to... Sh- we need to share more stories like what you what you just shared the 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 power of a parent's example, yeah. and it's not that we're we're saying because there are so many great catechists that are in our diocese. Oh sure, so many so many wonderful diaries, wonderful catechists. But I think we have to become more vocal as a church in exactly what you're saying that we cannot replace the role of parents that God has entrusted these children yeah. to us for a very specific reason, and that we're going to be able to evangelize and catechize our children in a way that the parish just can't because yeah. they're, they can't replace the parent's role. And I think what, what all of this has highlighted for us, especially over the last year almost, is that um, 
well, it, I guess it raises the question, you know, how are parishes empowering parents? Because um, I think it can be really easy. And I worked for a parish for almost seven years. It can be very easy to just assume, oh, well, the, peri- the parents aren't interested or the parents right. haven't told us. So we don't have a need to, to fulfill. But in many cases, the parents may just not know, where do I start? What, yeah. do, I, what do I do? So for parishes to 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 create um, opportunities for parents to really step into that role and to affirm them in that role, to yes. say you've received everything that you need, especially through the sacrament of marriage. Yeah. And I think that's where there's a lot of overlap between faith formation and the family life department, especially, is really helping couples to understand what they've received in the sacrament. And if they haven't celebrated the sacrament, well, let's help you with that because right. it's going to make you a better catechist for your family. Yeah. Um, but for a parish to ask questions like, do we create environments of prayer that are family friendly? Yeah. Is mass a family friendly environment? Do we banish families to are the cry room? Are you suggesting there are masses at some times in some places where parents feel almost unwelcome because of their children <laughs> making noise? Let me I have never heard of this, but it is scandalous to me. <laughs> For you to suggest something, right? Uh, when I got a I, few stories. <laughs> when we had um, just three children, our third child had been born. My wife was at home with the youngest because it was like two weeks after the birth or something. Mm-hmm. I decided I'm going to take our at that time like a two year old and um, one and a half year old to mass by myself. Nice. And uh, we had a tantrum during the psalm. I mean, we hadn't even made it to the gospel reading yet where I had had to take them to the back and then come back, you know. So when people stood up for the gospel, I, I walked back in because, you know, you get really good as a parent at knowing yeah. when people are standing and sitting so you when can get in and out and when when there's noise. <laughs> so we get back and the gospel reading happens. We sit down for, for the homily. And one of my daughters was trying to climb underneath the pew. She wanted to go back mm-hmm. by going under. And so I had her by like one foot and I was trying to kind of slide her back in. I'm not real flexible and I'm trying to like do this like in some sort of dignified manner. And my other one, as I'm bending over trying to get Kiara, uh, my, my, my oldest Faustina taps me on the shoulder and she says, Dada, I go for a walk. I'd be right back. And she just leaves. Um, so that was that was a moment where I, if I had been at a different parish, I might have felt like, I'm just not coming back here. <laughs> right. Luckily, right. You know, I knew the pastor, right. and and he joked with me about it afterward. And uh, but that that's that's a very real thing, and that's just mass, right? I mean, as parents, it can be right. daunting to just get your kids to church, let alone what's going on the other six days out of the week. Right. I mean, it's it's right. so. I think one thing we we need to do, um, and everybody needs to do, really, is tell parents this message in a way that's not condemning them. Yes. Like you haven't been taking care yes. of this. It's your job exactly. and we're not going to do it. We want to help you do it, but mm-hmm. we also want to tell you this is yours right. to do. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, you and I are speaking from experience. I mean, I, yeah. I think it's safe to say we're kind of in the trenches right now. <laughs> Got a five-year-old, a four-year-old, a two-year-old and a seven-month-old. And yeah. how old are your kids? I have a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, a six-year-old, a two-year-old and a two-month-old. Yeah, so we're not like speaking from some ivory <laughs> tower that we've got this all figured out. I'm still trying to figure out how to get yeah. through. Yeah, just the day-to-day things. But yeah, if the if the parish is more vocal or if you're cuz it's it it is an experience to go to mass and watch that I'm sure she is very holy older woman continue to turn around and and glare yeah. at families that where the kids are making mass. 
that's so frustrating. It can be very disheartening. And I've heard too many stories from young families that are just like, we're not coming until they're older. Mm -hmm. But at what point, you know, when is it time if you're not bringing them from a young age? But what is the parish doing? What are yeah, what kind of environment are we fostering? And thankfully in our diocese, we have some really beautiful parishes that are very family friendly. Uh, But to really ask that question, like how are we encouraging parents that in the messiness of mass attendance or bringing your kids to adoration, like feeling like you, you have permission to do that, knowing good and well that your kids are probably going to squeak and and make some noise. But do we create prayerful environments or or just opportunities for families to go to something like adoration or go to the sacrament of reconciliation more than twice a year where it is a family-friendly environment uh we've taken our family um all of us to now we just had a baby two months ago so we haven't done it with five kids yet but we have done go to confession get in line with only me and my wife and my oldest are going to go but we bring everybody Mm -hmm. And and that's a very interesting proposition. Uh, what it's like for the other kids who are just there, waiting. Um, yeah. But I think that's a really powerful moment. I mean, to me, when I worked in in ministry at a parish level, I wanted to tell parents like, take your kids with you when you're going to go to confession, so that they see that you do it. Yes. Right. Because yes. that's really. I mean, if they can see that mom and dad have to go confess their sins. That really should transform the way that they think of like all grownups, exactly. you know, and themselves. Exactly. That like this isn't just a little kitty thing that you do to have sins, yeah. But it's part of us for our whole life, right? Um, yeah, I think that that's that's really important. And so w- one of the things that that I guess needs to happen, and we're still figuring, trying to th- just this is new for us even to think in this way, right? Uh, to to imagine ways in which a diocese or or a parish can support those parents is, is not to say that like we don't need any of these people that have been helping out, right. but we just need to shift, refocus what the what the mission, what the particular goals might be. Mm. Um, and I, I think one of the uh, one of the things that's that's really critical is to get get families to to pray. Yes. Right? It's so it's not just that like, well, you should take your kid home and read them the Baltimore Catechism until they memorize the answers. I mean that's okay, uh, but that again, I still is is not the thing. Mm-hmm. That that might get us to the thing, right? Which mm-hmm. is to have an active culture of in in your family life of prayer, mm-hmm. of sacrifice. What this is what John Paul II says in in Familiaris Consortio: the family needs to be a place where we share our joys and share our sorrows with mm-hmm. one another. So a community mm-hmm. in which we can both share our joys and experience our sorrows in union with others, right, who can help us through them. The family needs to be a place where the youngest are given their due appreciation and the elderly mm. are valued for their important role in, in society, but especially yeah. in a family. Um, that's not what a lot of families look like, or maybe they just don't think about those things. Right, right. And in today's culture, it, it's it's a very loud and distracting world that, yeah. that we live in and we're thrown a lot and, and we're told constantly, you know, to be a good parent, you need to be serving your kids organic, whatever chicken nuggets. I don't, I don't know. I'm probably not doing whatever it is I'm supposed to be doing, but, <laughs> but to realize that the church has given us exactly what we need to live this out and to hear that more often as a parent would be yeah. so helpful 
Um, and I'm glad you mentioned prayer because in the catechism it says, you know, parents have the mission of teaching their children to pray and to discover their vocation as children of God. That's 2226. And I just, I, I wonder how many parents feel comfortable even praying together as spouses or how many of them are praying on their own. So it's almost as though like the parish really needs to make sure that parents know what that is, yeah. that, that it may not be, um, just reciting the rosary, but like having this relationship with God and yeah. that it's okay to try things like praying the rosary with very young children and that it's not going to look like the Carmelite sisters <laughs> or uh, a scene from heaven, but it, it, it may be very messy, but to affirm, is that a thing like affirm yes. the holiness in the messiness of yeah. family life? Well, you know, John Paul II says in his letter on the rosary that uh, a lot of people object to this idea that young people are going to pray the rosary. But he says young people surprise us all the time with their ardor and their passion. He said that World Youth Day had been something that a lot of people didn't think was going to go well. But look, look what look what the exactly. reaction was. And so he says this. um, Yes, it may, you know, it may be difficult, but, and this is his whole argument is, why not try it? And I, yeah, <laughs> nice. I've never, I, I always love that. I that love like that. he's, he's, I mean, here's, here's a man with two PhDs. He's a genius. He's a saint. And, and he's, <laughs> he, what he, he boils down to for him is, well, just try it, See you know, happens. uh, but there's, there's other things to try besides the rosary. Yeah. There's chapel to divine yeah. mercy. There's, yes. there's spontaneous prayer. Um, reading of the scriptures together. Mm-hmm. One of my uh, former professors, Brant Petrie, um, said that he his pedagogical method for teaching uh, the scriptures to his children is to read a chapter of, of the Bible at dinner and then just say any questions, <laughs> and that that always opens, opens up, up and plenty awesome. of discussion. Right? Yes. He's like, that's the whole thing. I read it and I say any questions, and then that's that that opens a discussion. Um, the liturgy of the hours, yes. right, is something that Vatican II says families are are supposed to be invited to participate in this. And I, I've never been anywhere that there was a liturgy of the hours being prayed at a parish, even just like announced that way. Right. Um, right. So I mean that that's something, the participation in the sacramental life, uh, but also you know being like having your faith, having religion and or, or, or theology or uh, on the table for this is one of the things that we talk about and one of the things that's important for our family. Um, having a holy water font yes. when you when you walk in the door and trying to use it every now and then mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's, has been good for, for, uh, for our family. Um, what, what are some ideas maybe that, that you think in, in your own family you've seen to be effective? I think being willing to try new things. I know chant is something. I think you've, yeah. you've even talked about that with your family, um, learning to to chant the um, Salve Regina. I've been surprised at how quickly our youngest kids have picked up on things yeah. like that. So it's it's made us um, look at incorporating more of that sort of a thing because yeah. with their personalities, it just connects with them more. Right. Um, and then being willing to try different things, like maybe it's okay that the four-year-old is doing laps around the living room while we're praying, because that's how he is able to. That's how you participate. count what Hail Mary. Or yeah, on, exactly. What, what doing lap. a lap. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I guess one thing that really comes to mind through this whole conversation is, as parents, 
when we're bringing our kids to the parish or Catholic school or, or whatever sacramental formation, we're doing it because we know that it's important. And I, yeah. and I, and it's so important for the parish to affirm that and for parents to hear that, that it is such a gift that you, you recognize that this is an important thing. Um, and at the same time, seeing how it's an opportunity for deeper conversion for like the whole family yes. when our kids are going through yeah. faith formation, because if we're, if we desire heaven for our children then we want to be there too with them so for a couple that maybe they're civilly married and haven't celebrated the sacrament of holy matrimony like this is a really great time to get on board with that to be in full communion with the church or if parents haven't been going to the sacrament of confession or have just been away such a great time for everybody to be on board together yeah, I think it's really, really great uh, to, to start thinking in this direction about uh, how, you know, again, we don't want to tell parents they've been doing a bad job right. or that catechists right. are unnecessary, uh, but rather that what we've really got to be doing is supporting the growth of holiness of the household. Yes. So I'm going to close with just a, a couple of thoughts here from, from, from Scripture. Um, and this is, and the idea is that this is how salvation happens in Scripture, right? It's in families and in households. So in the Old Testament, God forms covenants. Uh, if you know your Scott Hahn, you know covenants are kinship bonds, right, where God creates a family between himself and the people he's offering a covenant to. This starts with Adam and Eve. You go to Noah, to Moses, to Abraham, to David, right? These covenants expand in their size, but it's always God's family, the mm-hmm. people of God, the household of David mm-hmm. that God is is operating through. It's the household and the family that is this, the focus of God's concern uh, to, to reach everyone. Mm-hmm. Right? He doesn't just go and call Abraham by himself without Sarah yes. or David without his children, but they're they're united, and you see this in the New Testament in the uh, the Acts of the Apostles, chapter sixteen, that salvation happens for a household. Uh, there's there's a, a jailer who is his jailed Paul, and uh, you know the the jail collapses and, and all the prisoners are set free. And the jailer goes and thinks he's basically in trouble because all everyone's gone. But the, but the prisoners had stayed there even though they were free; they hadn't left. And Paul tells him, don't worry, we're right here. You know, you're not going to be in trouble. And he wants to know how they got free, and he preaches the gospel to him. And then he invites his household, says him Mm -hmm. and his household were baptized, and Paul goes to his household to celebrate a meal uh, afterwards. So there's a a very clear biblical precedent for this, uh, this notion of focusing on the faith and the handing on of the faith within a family structure. So, um lot more for us to think about yeah. in this direction <laughs> and if you have you know questions or comments about uh, about this topic you can please you can leave them below or you can send us an email at podcast at st philip institute.org um, you can follow us on facebook and on twitter and youtube anywhere else instagram instagram yeah. we're on instagram i'm too old for instagram so i forget that it exists um so yeah i get thank you so much deanna for for coming in uh this is I think we're still at the beginning of this conversation, mm-hmm. um, and and I hope that we can see, you know, as time goes on, that the Institute is finding a way to sort of help solve this problem. So. Amen. All right. Thanks. Well, we'll uh, now listen to, we'll hear a prayer from uh, Bishop Strickland. Thanks for joining us again on uh, Into the Chariot. 
The Lord be with you, and may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.